Well, hello and a warm welcome to the Owen Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Georgie Collins. I'm a partner at Erwin Mitchell and head our US desk and relationship. During this podcast, we're going to focus on the UK and US transatlantic relationship, the opportunities and challenges for UK businesses either looking to do business in the US and or attract investment from the US. Our last UK powerhouse report ranked the US number one for foreign direct investment into and out of the UK. As a firm, we are seeing increasing activity in the transatlantic corridor, whether it's UK-based businesses looking to expand or diversify into the US, and vice versa, with US businesses looking to expand their operations and activities into the UK, and often use the UK as a launchpad for expanding into Europe and further eastwards. I'm delighted to be joined on this podcast by Brian Bletsoe, who heads our international group, is a corporate lawyer by background and has extensive experience of helping US businesses establish themselves in the UK market and beyond, navigating the various legal and more practical considerations associated with establishing a business in the UK. I'm also delighted to welcome Tara Nicholson. Tara is a partner and tax specialist at the US accountancy firm with them. She specializes in advising clients from startup stages to billion dollar mature corporations. As we'll find out in our discussion, tax is an incredibly important issue and should be at the top of the list of priority considerations for a UK business setting up, operating or diversifying into the US. So without more further ado, I shall move on to our panel. And Tara, I'm going to come to you first in just sort of setting the stage in giving us a helicopter view of, of, of what you see in your practice as being the most important issues that UK businesses should think about when they're looking to set up business in the US or expand their operations. Sure. Uh, thanks, Georgie. Well, uh, given that I'm a tax advisor, I'm going to say taxes are a pretty critical issue, whether that's mitigating risk and also maximizing opportunities. It's very important to engage a tax professional early on, specifically one that is current with tax laws and reporting that impact multinational businesses. Not only are there tax consequences associated with certain transactions that can arise, There are a host of informational filings and reporting that need to occur, and when missed, it's low-hanging fruit for the tax authorities uh, to just easily assess penalties. Great record-keeping is also incredibly important, Uh, maintaining simple things like formation documents, copies of any tax elections, intercompany agreements, all the signed versions with uh, proof of timely filing is also very important, as it can be needed years later. Also accurate and timely accounting, respecting the different jurisdictions and legal entities, and properly recording any intercompany charges. In addition to U.S.-U.K. tax issues, companies in the U.S. need to be very on top of state and local tax matters, uh, since businesses and individuals in the U.S. are subject to not just U.S. federal tax, but state, city, a host of local taxes, which uh, can differ from other countries. Lastly, you know, it's also really important to have a good handle on payroll matters and filings, uh, especially if you have a global workforce. It's uh, suggested to use a designated payroll provider just because a lot of things have gotten incredibly complex, uh, as well as someone that can manage state registrations as those need to be kept current in order to conduct business. Thank you. That's great. And just following on from from that helpful uh, analysis. What are the sort of the challenges or the pitfalls that that you you know you you encounter in seeing with UK businesses when they're they're looking to do business and you know 
part of our experience is that we, we often find that they've made a decision to establish in, you know, X city, X state, and often there's not necessarily a logical decision making process that's gone behind that. Right, um, because I'm I'm sure that they're they're following the the customer base, right? So navigating the U.S. tax system is certainly complex. Uh, some of the areas we see companies get caught up is, um, you know, comes down to not getting good advice from the beginning and not having good records. Anytime there are non-U.S. owners, non-U.S. subsidiaries, related party transactions, even simple things like non-U.S. bank accounts, there's additional complexity. We also expect audit tax audits and notices to increase, uh, which is a real burden for uh, taxpayers to deal with and, and costly. We expect those to increase uh, as under the current administration, there's emphasis on increasing compliance, collection, uh, with recent announcements to increase the number of tax audits, as well as proposals to require more information reporting and putting that onus on banks to aid the tax authorities in identifying you know, what what the belief is that there's some missing tax revenue. So um, in terms of what to consider, my top few uh, include carefully evaluating the choice of entity. This would be more so for, you know, companies looking to just expand into the U.S. that aren't already here. So carefully evaluating choice of entity. There are a lot of different options in the U.S. that will dramatically impact the taxation. So get good advice here. If holding real estate is one of the objectives, that too requires consideration, as does understanding your eventual exit strategy, right? And how to get um, any sale proceeds uh, back to uh, the investors that, that might not be in the US. Once the type of entity is determined, usually the next step is formation under state law. And there can be, um, you know, differences in, in what state is, is best for, you know, particular facts and circumstances. Applying for a tax identification number, this is used for a host of reporting requirements from income tax to sales tax to payroll tax. It also indicates, you know, the, the tax forms to be filed, as well as the choice of year end. There's some flexibility there that in the U.S. We also suggest a U.S. mailing address, if possible, as well as U.S. bank accounts. If your business is profitable, quarterly estimated tax payments will be required, and these all need to be made electronically. So, you know, again, record keeping is critical. Hire or maybe better yet uh, in the startup phase, enlist the services of qualified accounting staff. We are experiencing a hopefully temporary shortage of experienced labor here in the U.S. So we're finding a lot of companies that are expanding. Their best bet may be to outsource this function initially. Uh, capital structure, funding is another must that requires careful consideration when coming into the U.S. There have been changes to the ability to deduct interest expense for U.S. tax purposes. There's additional proposals out there that indicate further changes are coming. And related party debt is always subject to additional scrutiny. So good records establishing interest rates, repayment terms, reporting, and whether or not withholding tax applies is important. And finally, uh, last but not least, transfer pricing. This is worth mentioning because it's a critical tool that can provide both opportunity as well as pitfalls. The U.S. has documentation requirements that must be met at the time the tax return is filed. But transfer pricing is not just compliance and documentation and risk management. 
we're seeing it as a real tool that if managed properly, helps multinational businesses have their cash in the right place at the right time. Thank you very much. That's a, a really in-depth analysis in, in, in terms of those issues. Brian, I'm just going to come to you and see if you do you feel that's mirrored in terms of those considerations when you're helping US businesses come and establish here in the UK? Uh, absolutely, um, Georgie, I would agree with that. I think uh, getting involved right at the beginning, as, as, as Tara mentioned, is absolutely crucial. So we would partner with an accountancy firm to, to, to help in relation to much of the same issues that uh, Tara has mentioned for the US. Um, and on the legal side, you, you know, that whilst our legal systems are similar, um, that's one of the attractions, I think, going both ways across the Atlantic, there are differences. So a, a classic for an American client would be the differences in our labour laws here, uh, our employment laws, whilst um, I'd say more generous for, from an employer's perspective than our European brethren. They, they are much stricter than in the US. We don't have contracts at will. And we've seen um, US companies really trip up quite badly in that respect by not really understanding the the differences. But I would echo what Tara said, you know, early precise advice, considering the um, the issues, the, uh, the 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 location, the the tax impacts, and, and for us, I guess, the free ports, Georgie, is a new a new uh, consideration um, from uh, from the spring of this year. And that's something that uh, our own tax advisors would, would, would probably talk to a US client about now in, in detail to see if the tax regimes or reports could could really assist. Thank you. And, and Tara, I guess, when comparing the, the, the sort of the pitfalls, the challenges between the US and the UK, we've, in some respects, we've got it easy here in the UK, because we're, you know, we're, we're just looking at the, the laws essentially of one country of, of England and Wales, whereas in the US, you are essentially almost 52 mini countries in terms of all the different states. And I wonder how that plays out in terms of are there any obvious states where it's easier or more challenging to set up than others? Well, with today's uh, budget deficits uh, in a lot of the jurisdictions here in the U.S., uh, in terms of easy, it's relatively easy uh, to set up anywhere. Um, any state, in fact, will be more than happy that you're setting up in their uh, particular jurisdiction. But uh, even merely having employees or customers or shipping products uh, to a state may catch you in their net, it's not necessarily just where you may have an office or physical location. Uh, my colleagues in the state and local area think I have it quite easy uh, with my narrow focus on US federal tax. Uh, as you mentioned in the US, there's all 50 states to think about for income tax, gross receipts tax, net worth tax, sales tax, property tax, payroll tax, in addition to cities and counties within those states. Uh, in terms of a more favorable uh, jurisdiction right now, Texas has certainly been in the news lately with announcements from companies like Tesla, Oracle, Hewlett Packard moving their operations. They're citing things such as the overall friendly business environment uh, in Texas, the favorable tax situation to businesses and individuals, and access to talent as, as critical factors in moving to Texas. Other states might have no income tax at all, so initially that might be attractive. 
but you have to think about the overall business needs as well, not just the tax aspect. Some of those states might not have great access to the talent or the logistics that you need. So some of the states that consistently rank poorly, just purely from a tax perspective, are California, New York, New Jersey, unfortunately, uh, all great places to live. I love spending time there. They have fair, very high taxes, very aggressive, far-reaching tax policies, and high cost of living. So we're seeing just in you know recent year, quite a migration of talent uh, and business also moving to Florida and North Carolina. So I would put those as favorable up there with Texas. That being said, where you set up shop, as I referenced a few moments ago, or a physical presence is less and less likely to be the only place where you have a taxable presence. The state and local tax regime is quite a complex web of concepts like nexus, which can be both physical or economic nexus, worldwide reporting, sourcing of profits and sales, which is referred to as allocation and apportionment, different tax rates. And then from a sales tax perspective, not all goods and services are created equal. Some are as exempt, which is a good thing, but you have to have the right certificates, uh, whereas others might be taxable. So not only do you want to make sure you've got good tax advice on international tax, need to make sure that your advisor is also well-versed in state and local tax matters. Great. Brian, in terms of um, what you see coming eastwards from, from the U.S. and particularly where uh, a U.S. company doesn't already have a, an established place of business here, at, at an office, are there any trends that you see in terms of where that entity is looking to set up, particularly where it wants a, a physical establishment? Are there any sort of pockets I guess, around the UK where, where it's hot. We've seen some of that in our powerhouse report where there, there are certain geographies. Is that mirrored in your practice? I, I, I think so. <clears throat> I think so, Georgie. But I, I suspect given the UK is such a small country compared to the US, I sus my, my feeling is that the location of the business tends to be centred around either the, the, the person they're partnering with in the UK or the, or the targets um, that they're looking to buy, there are there are certain pockets as we know. You know the I think the London clearly is always going to be a draw given the uh, given the easy transport links. I think certain parts of the country, such as Cambridge, have uh, you know really nice specialisms that that would would drive certain of the uh, you know tech type businesses to, to towards Cambridge. But I, th I think location here probably is less important than. Um, what Tara was saying in the in the US. I mean, I'm thinking about the the, the US acquisitions I'm doing at the moment, which um, or setups, which sort of mirror, I think, some of the the flow of businesses over. So one is a uh, a, a recruitment tech acquisition of a UK client of mine uh, by by a big US business. Um, I think the tech sector is particularly interesting. That's a London-based business. Another is a, is a pharma business, which um, is, it has acquired a, uh, a company on the south coast um, where the actual target was located. Those are two examples recently of, uh, um, of, of an area. But, but you know, to, um, to give an example of uh, perhaps less location specific, the 
an entertainment business is is really locating from Cornwall because that's where the UKMD is situated at the moment. So I, I, I think it's circumstantial in the UK more than uh, more than targeted in my experience. Thanks, Brian. That's that's an interesting comparison be, be, between our respective jurisdictions. And just just picking up, I think in relation to the foreign direct investment piece. And Tara, coming to you first, are you seeing any particular trends in terms of US businesses and what they're interested in in terms of the UK? Are there particular opportunities, trends? Not any significant change, you know, in the recent, you know, 18 months or so. Um, Certainly some of the hot industries uh, now are related to home improvement sectors, um, so really anything in, you know, manufacturing, distribution, logistics, um, certain things like that, but not so much any change over the, the recent time frame. Brian, are you seeing any trends in terms of the what, what's coming across your desk in terms of those U.S. businesses coming into the U.K. and also, you know, the U.K. based clients who are looking to invest in the U.S.? I'd say one trend I've noticed is volume, um, volume of interest that that certainly during the pandemic times has really picked up. Um, the majority of work that we're doing in our London corporate office certainly has a US connection, whether we're acting for a US client or we're acting against a US client. I think that's indicative of the sheer flow of um, interest from from the States at the moment. Um, I think in terms of the other way around, you know, the, the US is always seen as a as a natural um, market, for, particularly for younger businesses. Um, I think there, there are so many synergies, I think, between the UK and the US markets. There's so many connections. And I think given the globalization of uh, of business nowadays anyway, you know, to take some of my tech clients, they, they already have significant customer bases in the US and, and for them it's just a very natural progression to follow that um, depth in customer base in the US. Uh, it, it, um, particularly, I think, with the commonality of language and the similarity of legal system, you know, clients in the UK feel very comfortable in the States. Um, they do come a cropper, as Tara mentioned, if they don't get that advice right at the beginning. And, uh, you know, things like opening a bank account in the UK is a nightmare for all overseas businesses. It's not easy. It takes a long time. And I think uh, I've, I've seen clients experience similar issues in the US, actually, particularly where they don't have resident US directors. So I think... Um, I think the flow from the UK to the US, particularly in my view, has centred around technology businesses. But I'm wondering if that reflects my client base rather than anything else. Yeah, possibly. I mean, certainly from the some of the reports which we've seen um, here over the past few months in terms of what is really hot, the, the, there is that very strong tech market and particularly around London, around fintech, around green tech and a report only just out last week which has you know started to say that the the UK is 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 almost leading the charge in relation to fintech relative to to the US which is you know 
kind of quite fascinating into, into when you look at the, the different sizes of the geography. But I, I think technology is, for, for, from what we're hearing both from clients and from industry reports, is is really a, a, a big significant driver of, of, of that, that investment and the flow of business. Tara, just looking at sort of tax incentives um, and come to you first, Brian, I'll ask you too, are there, are there any particular tax incentives which are attractive to UK businesses and to, to consider as part of that sort of expansion business activity in the US? Sure, there's always a lot to keep an eye on from a US tax perspective, uh, as well as the potential global tax reform uh, that we're seeing out there right now. There are significant proposals in the US uh, tax market right now. And while details vary widely, the general expectation, unfortunately for taxpayers, is that uh, tax rates are likely going to increase. Um, there are some credits available, uh, something to make sure that you know your, your tax advisor has a good understanding of your business, because a lot of the credits out there are very industry specific. Uh, such as credits for production of distilled spirits or energy-related or certain fuel credits. Uh, there's also credits just related to hiring. Uh, other credits available include those for qualifying research and development. There's uh, certain industry credits related to technology investment or other startup companies uh, at the state and local level too. At the moment, there's also a very competitive corporate tax rate at 21%, with many of the state jurisdictions down as well. North Carolina is only 2.5%. There are also a number of provisions available to accelerate deductions for tax depreciation to incentivize capital improvements, as well as the very popular cost segregation studies to make sure that capital expenditures are categorized at the lowest recovery period allowable. And finally, there's an incentive for U.S. companies with qualifying sales to other countries to have those profits taxed at a lower rate under the current FDII tax incentive. From a state and local perspective, some states and cities, especially as a result of the pandemic or even some of the weather-related disasters that have happened here in the U.S. recently, are offering credits and incentives for hiring people making capital investments. So before entering a particular state or city, if it's flexible, uh, find out what that jurisdiction might be willing to offer you. Brian, how about you? What do you, what is there here in terms of tax incentives for US businesses or other businesses overseas coming into the UK? Well, I, th I think the first thing I'll say, Georgie, is I'm no way a tax expert. So I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't pretend to uh, be able to even uh, compete with uh, what Tara was just said the, the other way around for, for, for the US. But what I what I would say is we, we have a very attractive research and development um, uh, culture in the UK. And I, and I think that's something that, uh, uh, again, back to technology businesses, not, not just technology businesses, actually, it can apply to many, many businesses. I think the R&D regime over here is seen as something that uh, is attractive to to incoming businesses. Um, and I think it's part of the, the UK government's drive to really, really push that entrepreneurial uh, invention, inventive spirit that, that we've always had and, and, and continue to have, particularly driven actually through, through universities, which I've mentioned before. So that's an interesting thing that I'd, I'd mention. I think the second point is free ports, which, which I've uh, touched upon 
earlier. This, this is a new initiative from the government uh, of the UK. I think the, the seven or eight reports were announced uh, earlier this year. Um, they're spread around the UK and I think certain coastal cities applied for that freeport status, only some of them were able to to get it. And we have had, as you know, Julie, we've had a US client um, set up, talk about setting up in um, in, a, in, a, in a freeport in the UK um, in Kent that was seen as very attractive to them in terms of the, the, the tax incentives. They were interestingly going to use that, that um, set up in the UK to to really push their export drive from the UK, particularly to Asia Pac. Um, so whilst I, 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 as I say, I don't profess to be a tax expert, this is uh, something that any incoming business should should really consider because it's new. And I think we weren't able to do this before Brexit. So this is a direct consequence of our um, single status now. It is indeed. And I think in sort of moving to sort of a conclusion and, and final question, you mentioned Brexit, Brian, and you know, the, the sense was that there was real concern in relation to our international trade as a result. And of course, that has had big impacts in, in particular jurisdictions. But what we've seen and certainly what seems to be coming out of, you know, various thought leadership reports, say, for example, what British American business have run and what they did recently in conjunction with Bain is that actually the level of activity and investment as between the US and the UK is at a real high and notwithstanding uh, Brexit and whatever the perception of the UK that initially had, it hasn't deterred investors at all from the from the US and it's not seen as that blocker. It, it's not an ideal in terms of the perception of the UK's trading relationship with Europe, but it hasn't hindered our ability to attract that investment in a way that, you know, we, we were concerned about how attractive we we would see. So there seems to be a real optimism about the opportunities for business between um, the UK and the US and attracting that foreign direct investment. And it feels to me, I welcome your thoughts that 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 that's something to build on. This isn't something that that's a blip. This is something that's got real momentum. Fully agree, Georgie. The Department of International Trade has, I think. Uh, moved into a different gear since Brexit. I think this is a consequence of Brexit. I think it needs must. Um, Europe is our biggest market, uh, but the emphasis now is to really open the eyes of British businesses to the world beyond Europe. Um, and you and I have personally both seen um, that in action. Um, the, the DIT being incredibly proactive around this. Um, they're, they're pushing British businesses to to really consider the world as the market and not Europe as the market, which is the uh, perhaps the easy lazy option in the in the old days. Um, I think the US is seen as the um, is, is as, as one of the if not the biggest targets of that. Um, and it, it's very interesting, isn't it, that the Although the UK-US trade deal negotiations seem to be protracted, we, we may be able to get a, a backdoor entry into that market through the CPTPP, which is the um, Trans-Pacific Trade Pact that we're looking to join. Uh, and I think that could be particularly interesting. And it's, it's something that DIT are really, really um, 
trying to sponsor that, that particular initiative. Um, so I think that's one to really watch because I think that could also assist the, the, the UK-US trade dynamic pretty significantly. Thanks, Tara. Just your reflective thoughts on where we're at in terms of that level of activity and if you know you, you think that's only likely to continue. Oh yes, definitely. Um, so aside from the tax aspect, uh, not meaning to be all doom and gloom here, it's just the cost of doing business and access to the US customer base. There's access to US market, US capital, as well as skilled labor. Uh, the U.S. is consistently viewed favorably for ease of doing business. It's very easy to set up and uh, backed by an environment that offers federal, state, and local tax incentives. Many would view the U.S. as a gateway for expansion to the rest of the Americas, uh, including Canada, Mexico, Latin America. The U.S. has a huge customer base. We've been seeing significant growth in uh, home improvement sectors, manufacturing, distribution, and logistics clients. Uh, are seeing a lot of growth. Well, yes, they're facing some significant supply chain issues at the moment. Uh, they've been doing really, really well, uh, whereas the automotive industry is facing some challenges, not only with the chip shortages, but also predicting the changing consumer demand. The manufacturing lines are very customized, take a long time to build, and we're seeing you know, delays in uh, being able to re react to customers moving away from sedans to SUVs and now maybe electric vehicles. Our e-commerce businesses are seeing a lot of growth as well. Online shopping has really taken off as a huge trend and we're seeing businesses making a lot of investment in their technology platforms. Thank you. Well, I'd like to thank you for your great insights and advice in terms of what both UK and US businesses should should be thinking of. Tara, you've given us a, a great shopping list in terms of the considerations, um, which are nuggets for any UK business looking to expand or, or move into the US. Brian, thanks so much for bringing to life um, the examples you gave in terms of what you're dealing with at the, at the moment. It's, it's really useful to have those sort of real life, what's happening now um, and not the abstract. So thank you both very much for your time. That brings to a close our podcast for today. Thank you very much for listening. And if you found it interesting, then join us for our next episode.